My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast, a place for extended, in-depth discussions about the rebirth of virtuous masculinity happening around the world today. My guest this week is the founder of Compassionate Counselors and the author of the book, The Abusive Wife. Please welcome Dr. David Edgington. This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance. One of the most important books I've ever read is titled The Revolt of the Primitive by Howard Schwartz. I'm rereading it for the first time, and today I saw the following passage, quote, I have no doubt that someday the distortion of the truth by the radical feminists of our time will be seen to have been the greatest intellectual crime of the second half of the 20th century. In the immediate context of that passage, he's talking about domestic abuse statistics, specifically how women's documented physical violence and domestic abuse against men has been eliminated from the public dialogue, hidden under half-reported stories, and outright erased from public consciousness. That is the crime that Schwartz is talking about. The distortion of the truth, which says that men are reckless and savage abusers, alcoholic and violent, one might even say patriarchal and oppressive, and that that is the end of the story, and always has been. Meanwhile, one 1995 study in the UK from Scotland Yard showed that men are more than twice as likely to be the victims of an attack in the home and are eight times less likely to report it. There's a lot I can say about this, enough to fill up a podcast on its own. But what I think is noteworthy is that abuse in this case is only considered if it's physical. Naturally, those are the situations that get reported to police and are easier to measure. But there are other kinds of ways that women can and do abuse men, which don't involve physical violence. Many of us are beginning to talk about them, withholding sex and affection, nagging, overspending, gossiping about husbands, and even criticizing them in public, which Alison Armstrong calls castrating. Would it surprise you to know, though, that there's another way that women abuse men, and that it's discussed in the Bible? And that once you see it, you'll perceive that women's abuse of men is far more widespread than we've recognized? Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Dr. David Edgington, and he's the author of the outstanding book, The Abusive Wife. But he proposes that the term abusive, while familiar, isn't exactly accurate. A better, more biblical term is reviling, which he says, quote, focuses on the verbal aspect of mistreatment of others. It entails using speech as a non-contact weapon against another person. To revile is to strike another person. It is speech that is harsh and arrogant, not only in tone, but also in content and substance. Reviling speech often resorts to mocking, ridicule, and insulting language, end quote. Within the Christian church in recent generations, pastors have specifically overlooked this form of women's abuse of men in their rush to apologize for perceived wrongs of the past. Does this sound familiar? It's not hard to connect the dots that as pastors, churches, and denominations bend the knee to woke and rainbow flags, they're actually continuing a trend that began long ago, 
succumbing to what I call the feminist theology that women are eternal victims and that every knee must bow to their almighty feelings. Now here's the thing. David wrote his book eight years ago, having been in countless biblical or nuthetic counseling sessions and seeing that the husband and wife seem to be playing by a different set of rules. The man, though imperfect as all men are, is kind, accommodating, and loving. The woman, meanwhile, is harsh, controlling, and unrepentant. She refuses to be held to the biblical standard, not just of submissiveness, but of graciousness or even kindness to the man whom she married. She rebels against him in word, tone, and posture. I've seen this in my own mentorship practice, and David's book gave me better language to talk about it. Eight years after the publication of The Abusive Wife, as American society is being consumed in a feminist-driven conflagration, for feminism was just the beachhead of Marxism, it's hard not to call Dr. Edgington just a little bit prophetic and quite a bit more than heroic. Because, as Howard Schwartz continues, quote, at the present time, however, we still live under the aegis of that crime, and calling attention to it is an act of great moral courage. Which is why I'm honored to have David on my podcast today. Not only is he a man of great moral courage, having called attention to the real-world impact of this crime for almost a decade, he also counsels couples to come out of this way of being. He supports men in how to survive it and be sanctified by it, or how to recover from women who have abused them and left, or worse. Intellectual crimes are not victimless crimes, and praise God that there are voices like David's calling out from the wilderness with gentleness, firmness, and an unyielding commitment to the word, preparing the way for the great reckoning with truth that must come before the great reconciliation. Praise God and hallelujah. And thank you to Annalise from Feminine Not Feminist for recommending David's book, and my friends Richie and Kevin for helping to make this happen. In our conversation, David and I discussed his excellent book, The Abusive Wife, How to Recognize a Reviled Husband, Wokeness and Christianity, Women and Their Anger, The Danger of the Secular Courts, How Abuse Can Sanctify Us, and Why Women's Feelings Are Not Sovereign. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. Please continue to leave five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts and five-star ratings on Spotify. And please share this episode with a friend, maybe a man in a reviling situation who needs to hear it. Quick shout out. My buddy Evan Amato at Rewire the West has some exciting news. He has a new book out. If you're a listener of this show, you likely know that our culture is full of so-called advice that is not only anti-man, but anti-God. If you follow the path the world lays out for you, you do so at your peril. So where can you go to get good advice you actually need? One place to start is by looking to the past, specifically the great men and women of history and the ideas that inspired them to lead incredible lives. That's where Evan's new book, Keys to Life, comes in. The work explores the hidden life lessons of the Vatican and distills them into actionable principles you can implement right away. But this isn't exclusively a Roman Catholic thing. First, Evan lives in Italy, so he's got the Vatican right there. Second, he assured me that the life lessons he explores are applicable to people of all backgrounds and denominations. I asked him specifically about this. The purpose of Evan's book is to help you learn from the greats, get a guide for your life's journey, and unlock the door to meaningful living. From Michelangelo and Bernini to Peter and the Pietà, you'll learn the time-tested keys to life that have been helping people overcome life's hardest difficulties for the past 2,000 years. And since this is the Renaissance of Men podcast, you might get some insight into that era as well. You can order the book at the link in the description and get 25% off when you use the code REN OF MEN.
Evan has been a huge support to me in my work, so I hope you'll all do him a solid and give him some support in return. The Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee. Pastor Brandon Lansdowne has been hand-roasting beans for 14 years, building godly prosperity for his family and the kingdom. For those of you who follow him on Twitter or Instagram, you may have seen him post that the growth of his business lately has been so significant, he's going to need a bigger roaster. And I got to believe that listeners like you had something to do with that. So let's help him get that roaster and a bit less sleep in the meantime. Head over to ReformationCoffee.com and enter the code SUBFREE to get one free 12-ounce bag of coffee with any subscription. That's right. Sign up weekly, bi-weekly, or even monthly and get a free bag on the house. Let's all pitch in to help Brandon and his mission to reform American Christian coffee one cup at a time. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast, the founder of Compassionate Counselors and the author of The Abusive Wife, Dr. David Edgington. David, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Great to be here, Will. Thanks so much for inviting me. Well, I mean, it's, it's a, as we discussed, it's a long chain of friends that led us here today, starting with uh, Feminine Not Feminist and my buddies Kevin and, and Richie. So um, it's, a, it's a real blessing to, to have this conversation because, you know, I have your book here, The Abusive, the Abusive Wife, which I want to get into. But you're talking about a subject that many men and many women are really waking up to, but you've been talking about it for a while. So kind of leading the way is like a voice crying in the wilderness. So maybe we can get started with like, what inspired you to write the book? When did you write the book? What's the story behind it? Well, first of all, the, um, <clears throat> I did a search trying to find biblically oriented books on this because I kept running into it in, in counseling. I'm a full-time newthetic counselor. I still like the word newthetic rather than mm-hmm. just biblical because it says something a little more biblical. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I found nothing on this topic, nothing from a biblical perspective. And as far as I know, there's still nothing biblical on this issue. And yet there are men out there that are suffering so badly. I mean, I was, I was, just, I was weeping last night because I know so many men personally, good, solid men, that are not only getting maligned and reviled, that's the biblical word, reviled by their wives, but they're getting condemned, not too strong a word, condemned by their churches and by wow. their pastors and by counselors, even counselors that are certified in the same group that I'm certified in. And it is, it is a, it's a pandemic. It's, it's something that is widespread. <clears throat> I wrote my book eight years ago. Wow. And it's, uh, it's gotten far, far worse. I never dreamed how much attention this subject would get. And, and let me talk a little bit about publishing the book, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, a very kind recommendation from Jay Adams, basically the father of biblical counseling movement, Newthetic Counseling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he and I talked about it. He really enjoyed the book. He says, boy, this is, this is really good. There's nothing like this out there. And I thought that when I got a good recommendation from a solid man like that, that it'd be easy to publish the book. I couldn't get any Christian publishers to publish it. Not surprised. They told me it's too controversial. They told me it's, it's hating women. I said, did you read it? This is certainly not, I don't hate women. I mean, that's the farthest thing from my mind. Um, some people said there's not, that, that this is not that big of a problem. Um, 
I got all excuses and I thought, this is really strange. So I had to self-publish it. Amazon published it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> liberal, liberal Amazon published it. And I go, praise God for them, you know, that uh, they're willing to, to allow it to be self-published. So, but, uh, but this is not, this problem is not going away. We're talking now in June, 2023, and this is way, way worse than it was in 2015 when I wrote the book. Yeah. I, I like how, you know, you're, you're using such solid biblical terms to start with. Neuthetic, reviling, condemn. Like these are, these, this is biblical language to use to explain a problem and identify a problem that a lot of people don't want to look at. And because they don't want to look at it, it's getting worse. That's how these things tend to go. Exactly. And I, and a, and a, Point of clarification, people often ask, well, why'd you use the word abusive wife? Why didn't you call it the, the reviling wife? And the simple reason is most people don't know what reviling means. Right. So I had to use a, a word that's common in our culture. And then the first two chapters I define, well, abuse is really not the best term. You know, abuse can talk about sexual abuse, emotional abuse, can talk, you know, abuse becomes anything. If you and I disagree on something, you're abusing me. So it means really mm-hmm. nothing. But the biblical word revile is using words as a non-contact weapon where I seek to destroy you. I seek to not only in, in, in tone, but also in content to destroy and, and, and rip you apart. So, um, so revile, um, I don't know if you want to talk about this. Yeah, a little let's, bit. let's get in, let's get into it. Yeah. You know, the word, the word revile in John chapter nine the man born blind was reviled by the Jewish leaders. It says they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. So it wasn't, I don't think it was said as kindly as I just said it. It's, it's that, you know, you're his disciple and we're disciples of Moses. So they're trying to destroy this man. They're trying to ruin, ruin him with their words. Um, they're mocking him. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 4.12, it says that when we are reviled, we bless. So there is the picture of antithesis. Okay, when, when we're reviled, we do the opposite. We bless instead. So if you want to know what revile looks like, it's the opposite of blessing someone. Um, Jesus, when 1 Peter 2.23 says that when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. So see, verbal scorning evidences a hardness of heart. And as we know, Jesus didn't have a hard heart. He was, he was perfect in every way. So he didn't retaliate in the same way that, uh, that they were going against him. And then one of the most glaring ones is Matthew 15, 4, where it says that whoever reviles his mother or father must be put to death. So that's telling us that this is a serious, serious sin. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians 6 talks about that reviling is grounds for church discipline. Mm. We think of, or, um, uh, you know, sexual immorality. We think of drunkenness. We think of all kinds of reasons for church discipline. But we, I, I really don't know any churches that have done church discipline on a woman for reviling her husband. I know somewhere a man is accused of being reviling, but uh, but but not not the woman. So, you know, so when that's listed in the, in the, uh, the options of why church discipline is necessary, reviling is right in there. 
So if that's the case, this is obviously serious enough that we have to address it. We have to hold everyone accountable for this. So before we go any further, Will, I want to make a clarification too, because I am never, I never deny that men are revilers too. Right. I mean, you have to say, state that because people say, oh, you're on, you're on this podcast, the reviling wife, the abusive wife, you must hate women. And it's like, absolutely not. I know many men that, that fit this description. I'm not saying they, they don't exist at all. They're out there too. But the problem we're seeing now is that there are women out there. You know, men and women sin pretty much the same amount, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, think I think Romans 3.23 applies to everybody. All yeah. of the fall short of the glory of God. Yes. yes. I don't think women get a pass on that. So. Asterisk. All except for women, right. Any more than children get a pass on that or the elderly get a pass on that. It's like, you know, why would we expect anything less? Right. But, but we live in such a feminized culture right now where the feminist voice is so strong and so powerful that, um, that women do get a pass on this. And so that's, I think that's why you have me on the podcast. Like, okay, this was the abusive man. You know, everybody say, oh yeah, no, plenty of men like that. But the abusive wife or the reviling wife, we're going to see more and more people that say, I know women like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, and, and they contact me too. They say, I know women like that. I've got some reviews that were written on Amazon by women that say, I know plenty of women like that. And then I also know humble women that say, you know what? I have tendencies in that direction myself. So thank you for writing, writing your book. Yeah. That, and I, I completely agree. I've known many women like that, um, you know, in my family, for example, or, um, just meet them. You know, I, I, uh, I interview often, I speak with a woman named Alison Armstrong. And she, she has a book called, called The Queen's Code about how to speak to men, about her awakening to the, essentially to the humanity of men because she had grown up a feminist and was taught how to relate to men in a particular way. And then she realized that men are way more complicated than just like dogs or pigs or whatever. She recognized <laughs> we're actually human beings, right? With our own, with our own way of being that's completely different from, from women, almost like we're designed to be complementary to each other. And so she spent the past 30 years educating women on how, to, on how to speak to men and see them. But she still sees this kind of behavior all the time. And she documents it in the book, like women that are just, they can't harm men physically in quite the same way because they lack the physical strength, but they have the ability to absolutely cut us apart with, with words. Yeah, um, most women yeah. can talk circles around men, can't they? That's right. <clears throat> That's you right. Know, they- they go around and around and around. The man's like, wait a minute, what's going on? I got to address this and that. And, and he's just, he's just pummeled, pummeled with the words. Mm-hmm. But it's not just the, uh, the avalanche of words, not just the number of words, is it? It's, it's, the, it's the, the heart behind the words. It's the freight behind the words. It's the destructive. It's the condescending. It's the holding in contempt. It's the unforgiving. It's the never apologizing. That's... These are all the traits that we see in the reviling wife that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, she's relentless in that and, you know, she'll never apologize. Yes. She'll never ask forgiveness, which is, you know, two different things, but she'll never do either one of those. Very rarely will she do those things. So she's above reproach in her mind. Mm-hmm. And really, as the scriptures say, this is just simple pride and uh, deadly pride. Yes, very much so. And not only that, they won't, the only redemption is if you completely capitulate. Exactly. Right? There, there's no reconciliation. There's no, like, if you just 
if we can work out the misunderstanding, maybe we can come together. It's like, no, you, I must destroy you <clears throat> totally. And you have to bow the knee to me. And then, and then I will release you from the suffering is how that I mean, ends up playing. Isn't it amazing that it's parallel to cancel culture, to oh. woke, the woke ideology? It's like, boy, it sounds an awful lot like that, doesn't it? Yes. Because it is. That's yes. what it is. It's woke ideology. It's inf infiltrated good, solid, conservative Bible teaching churches. And we got to wake up to this. We got to say, wait a minute. We, we can't just capitulate. We can't just apologize and say, you know, we have to apologize to every woman who's ever made any accusation. It's like, you know, as I mentioned on one of the podcasts, the, the Me Too movement has, has kind of gripped people in a way that says, okay, just believe any woman for anything that she says. And I go, well, I'm not going to disbelieve any woman, but I, you know, you, you have to ask some good questions. You have to find out what's really going on. What's, what's happening with this. Here's an example. Um, one of the common phrases that you'll hear from the reviling wife is that I don't feel safe around my husband. I don't feel safe. And, you know, so now as a man, as a man that loves women, wants to protect women, wants to guard women from harm, what is the typical man going to do? E even a man that's not a pastor, that's not a counselor, the typical man is going to run to her defense and say, whoa, boy, I got to protect you because you're in danger. Those are emotionally charged words. I don't feel safe. So if, if you're not discerning and thinking this through, you're just going to rush to her defense and you're automatically going to start condemning the man. This is what happens. And the man never gets an opportunity to defend himself, to say, this is what's going on. You know, let me explain, uh, you know. And anything the man does to try to explain the situation, now you're being defensive. Now you're being prideful. And, you know, you're obviously, uh, you know, so upset about this. And look at how mad you're getting. She's probably right about you. In fact, she is right about you. Mm -hmm. So it just kind of snowballs from there. So it's like, so instead, what I do when a woman says that to me with her husband here, I, I, I say, what, what do you mean you don't feel safe? Has he beat you? Has he hit you? Has he threatened you? Has he got a knife or a gun and said, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to, you know, is he doing anything like that? And, and almost without fail, Will, they say, well, no, he hasn't done any of those things. I said, well, help me understand. What do you mean I don't feel safe? And usually what it comes down to is that, well, he's asking me to do something that I don't want to do. <laughs> and I say, okay, is it something sinful he's asking you to do? Well, no, it's just, you know, I don't really want to follow him. I, I know better than he does. I said, well, mm -hmm. maybe you do, but what does the scripture call you to do? What is the one command in God's word for you as a wife? It's to submit to your husband. And that's a word that we don't want to use anymore. Submit. It's like, oh, it's a, the, the cursed S word. <laughs> you know, it's like, boy, you know, don't you find yourself saying, oh boy, I, I use the word submit with a woman. She's going to come unglued on me. Mm. Sometimes that's what happens. And, and we've been beaten down so much. It's like, wait, we're failing to use the biblical language that is inspired by God that says a wife must submit to her husband. Now, again, we're not talking about a wife that's getting beaten up, a wife that's getting, you know, hit and knifed and threatened and, and all of that. We're not talking about that. You know, if you're a wife in that kind of a marriage, get out of there, get out yeah. of the home. 
get your get your children out of the home. We're not saying submit to a man that's just evil and wicked. However, we are looking at, for instance, First Peter chapter three that says that even a man that's disobedient to the word, the wife needs to submit to him. So, even a man that's not quite getting it, the wife's role is still to follow him, to submit to him. And submission doesn't mean I'll go along with you as long as I agree with you. That's the other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the other mistake that's often made. It's like, well, if if my husband says something and I agree with it, then I'll submit to him. I said, well, that's not submission. No, you know, submission is I don't agree with him, but I willingly put myself under his authority because this is God's authority. This is the way God has established authority, and that's where you're safe. Now you are safe, but you go out of that order. Now you really are unsafe, not for the reasons you think you're unsafe, but now you're unsafe because you're disobeying not just your husband, you're disobeying God. Be very careful with that. So I know I kind of took that on a a tangent there. No, (laughs) please. This touches on so many different... Everything just relates, doesn't it? It really does. I was listening to a Doug Wilson book uh, called Her Hand in Marriage that's about uh, courtship. And... The biblical courtship process exists to protect women from just that sort of situation where you have, you know, a potential suitor going to her father and having to win or earn her father's approval because she's under, she's under the headship of her father. And then she's passed to the headship of her husband, right? That's how that, that's how that works. And that process exists to protect the woman from unrighteous, ungodly men that she won't want to submit to, right? The father is there vetting. But when we blew apart the courtship process and created this individualized, well, let's just, let's just fall and have relations with each other and get our hormones all mixed up and believe that love is the most important thing, love is all you need, we broke apart that, um, that chain that existed for the women's benefit. And now we're living in the, in the aftermath of that detonation where everyone's having to figure it out for themselves. And so you have, I think you have women entering into marriages, carrying that shield, you know, like, nope, not, not going to submit. It's like, well, hold on just a second here. Like, why did you end up with him in the first place? I've asked women that question and they don't, they really don't like being asked that question. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No, just because a man is trying to lead does not make him a toxic man. That's true. That does not make it systemic, uh, sexism. Um, you know, all, all of those things. And, and, and here's the other thing that's interesting about the, the husband of a reviling wife. Not only is there a very clear picture of what the reviling wife looks like, there's also a very clear picture of what the husband of a reviling wife looks like. Yes. He's usually very gentle. He's very kind. He's very compassionate. He loves his children. He would give anything for his children, sacrifice anything for his children. And yet he tends to be more on the passive side of things. He's kind of naive about things. He's kind of, he's kind of too gentle in some ways. So he's not a, a harsh, angry, mean, cruel, vindictive, retaliatory man. It's, it's not that at all. He's the exact opposite of that. But that's the kind of man that a reviling wife is going to be drawn to. Mm-hmm. Because now she can control him. Now she can you know, pummel him with words. Now her bitter heart comes out even stronger because he's not a leader. He's not the kind of leader that she's looking for, but really she doesn't want a leader. 
She wants someone that's going to follow her. Yeah. So we get all the way back to Genesis 3.16, you know, which is, which is where all of this started. Where, where did all this start? Well, that's, you know, that's, that's where it started. And I, and I love the ESV's translation on this. I think it's the most faithful to the Hebrew. Um, Genesis 3.16, your desire shall be contrary to your husband and he shall rule over you. So it brings out the point that the wife's desire is contrary to the husband. It's not a godly desire. It's not a kind desire because this is a result of the fall. Mm-hmm. And so this is already the temptation for women. Now, not every woman falls into that category and, and, and plays that out in, in real life. But this is, where, this is where it began. It began right at the fall of, of Adam and Eve. The other side of it is, and he shall rule over you. That's just as ungodly. That's the man oppressing the woman. So there are men, as we've said, that are like that as well, that are harsh, that are cruel, that are vindictive, that are, you know, beating their wives down verbally. And sadly, many are beating them down physically as well, which is wicked and sin. We never, never give a pass to that. But these two words in Genesis 3.16, desire and rule, they only occur in one other place in the Bible. It's in Genesis mm-hmm. 4, 7, the next chapter after Genesis 3. And, and there it's with um, Cain and how sin has a desire contrary to him, but he must rule over it. So it's a picture to say, okay, this is what it looks like. Sin wants to rule and control and is contrary to God's will. And he has to push back on that and say, this, this, is, not, this is not allowed, this is not appropriate. So it kind of explains what's going on in Genesis 3.16, right in the next chapters. I mean, it's no coincidence that God put those two words, one chapter after the other. But that's where it comes from. You know, this is where, because that's what people say, well, where does this come from? And um, another area that, it's, that it comes from also is I have found, you know, I just, I've just kind of found this out because I've counseled so many of these kind of marriages. Um, there's usually been some very, very deep and painful trauma in this wife's life when she was a little girl. She was raped. She was molested. She was physically assaulted by her brothers or her father. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of all kinds of things like that. And so, as she gets older, as she ages, she gets triggered by these things with her husband, even though he's not doing the same thing. It's like, this just feels exactly like what my dad did to me, or this feels like what that rapist did to me. And so then she projects that onto him, onto her innocent husband. And, you know, and part of it, we just go, I feel so bad for these poor women, what they've experienced. You know, so, so here's another, here's another consequence, another fruit of how wickedly some men have treated women and we're seeing the consequence of that now in the marriage relationship. We're seeing that, wow, that is destructive in another, another avenue now. And the same demonic um, work that was done with the rapists, with the man beating the little girl, with the man molesting the little girl, the same demonic influence there, it comes out later in a demonic influence on the wife towards an innocent husband. Of course, the husband hasn't done these things. So here's a whole nother avenue. I mean, I know we've got so many tangents, Will, that we could talk about. I know, I know. But here's another one, parental alienation. Mm -hmm. 
this is this is just so it, it is so grievous it is unbelievable we I hear these stories and I know them. I know these men. I, I, they're not making this stuff up that they get accused of the most wicked and evil things. And they're like, where is this coming from? Why would my wife or my daughter, my adult daughter, make these accusations against me? I was just reading one of these emails I got this morning from a man that has basically lost everybody in his family through false accusations of sexual molestation, of rape, of, you know, just, just things you go, gosh, this would have to be this wicked, monster, evil man to do this. And yet I know this guy. I've known him for years. He's not that kind of man. And his story is not unique. I hear it over and over and over and over again, where the, where the wife becomes so embittered against her husband that it's not enough to just divorce him. Then she wants to destroy him. She wants him to lose his job. She wants him to lose his reputation. She wants him to go to prison. She wants him to just be have no contact with anyone in the family. And there are men that that I've counseled, men that are in my, I have an online group of men that I meet with. And um, their stories, uh, I mean, anybody hearing their stories would just absolutely weep over what's going on men that have not talked to their families in years. One man that has a, a son, a, a son that's not even a teenager yet, and the court has ordered him to have contact, that, that son to have contact with them, and the, and the son is just, yes, no, yes, no, bye. And, you know, that's, that's the substance of the relationship. So imagine what that does, as I said before, to a man that already loves his family, a man that already would give anything for his family, and now that family's ripped apart from him. So parental alienation, a whole nother subset of the reviling wife, it comes with, this, it comes with that territory, sadly. And, um, you know, there's a book that needs to be written on that, too, from a biblical perspective. I, you know, I've got a dozen books in my mind that I just don't have the the time or the self-discipline to get them all done. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, you laugh at it, but you cry about it. You go, oh, Lord, please help these men. Please, you know, not only relieve them of their suffering, but restore, reconcile these relationships that have just been torn apart. So that's a whole, a whole nother area. Um, maybe we should talk a little bit about what the scriptures say, how it describes a reviling wife. There's a mm-hmm. lot. There's a lot in the book of Proverbs on this. Interesting. Interestingly enough, I'll just kind of run through a few of them just so Please. we they don't uh, take a lot of time on it. But uh, Proverbs nineteen thirteen: A foolish son is ruined to his father, and a wife's quarreling is a continual dripping of rain. So, you know, if you have a house that doesn't have a roof that's properly sealed, you can't keep out the rainy weather, but you can get alternative housing or you get your roof repaired, but there's no escape from the bitter, contentious wife. Proverbs 21.9, it's better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. There's no peace. There's no sanctuary in the home. This, this, this man has to go to a corner of the housetop on the roof of the house 
to get away from that. He's going to the furthest point away so that he can get some peace. Shouldn't be. This should not be. Um, Proverbs 25, 24. It repeats the same, same words mm-hmm. as 21, 9. It's interesting. You know, it's just a few chapters later. Solomon is repeating that. Um, Proverbs 21, 19. It's better to live in a desert land than with a quarrelsome and fretful woman. So now it's taking it to a different level. It's like, get out of the house, get off of the roof. You got to go out in the desert to get away from this constant barrage of reviling. And someone that hasn't lived in that kind of a home really can't fathom what that's like. Most men will say, well, you know, every husband and wife argue about some things. We don't agree on everything. I mean, you know, you don't agree with everything. I'm assuming you're married. You don't agree with everything. You're not married. Okay, sorry. But, um, you know, we, we, don't, uh, we don't look at that and say, well, there's some things that are, that are uh, difficult to put up with. But, but this is far in a whole separate category. The reviling wife is in a way different category. Um, look at this picture. Proverbs 27, 15, and 16. A continual dripping on a rainy day and a quarrelsome wife are alike. To restrain her is to restrain the wind or to grasp oil in one's right hand. <laughs> Grasping oil in your hand. You know, I, I mm. change the oil in my cars all the time. I'm still old school and I do my own oil change. Like, yep, you get that oil in your hands. It's like, I, I can't grip it. I can't hold onto it. It just, it just slips right through. So this is, again, a picture of the quarrelsome or contentious or reviling wife. Um, Proverbs 12.4. She who brings shame to her husband is like rottenness to his bones. So now we're talking about the deep soul pain that that husband goes through. These men are just broken. They are just destroyed, Will. They have gone through so much. So rather than peace and contentment, she's she's like a, a piercing scourge. It's like a living disease in this in this man. And it is so sad. And again, I'm not throwing women under the bus. I'm looking at this feel for these women that are so bound up in their own misery and their own bitterness. There's freedom in the gospel. There's freedom in Christ. There's freedom in what Jesus has done. But they 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 don't see it. They don't they don't want to see it in many cases. Yes. And one more, and this this passage is probably the most descriptive, the wisest of women, Proverbs 14:1. The wisest of women builds their house, but folly with their own hands, tears it down. If there's one passage that describes it the best, I think that's it. It's like, you know, she, she could be wise and build her house, or, or she can just be a fool, just folly and tear her house down, tear everything down, tear her family down. So, you know, so just as I mentioned that these men will often sacrifice anything and everything for their families, they don't really care about money. They don't care about your know, reputation. They would sacrifice anything for their families. Often, what we see in the reviling wife is she'll sacrifice anything for her feelings. Mm. She feels, therefore, that's all that matters. And as I mentioned in my book, feelings are not sovereign. Feelings don't determine truth. Feelings are real. I know she feels the things that she says, but that doesn't rule that's not the way that we evaluate truth and what's right and what's honorable and what's holy and what's good. But if your feelings are all that count, then you know, 
you're just going to go, go you're just going to go on her opinion on on things but what often it doesn't happen the man's feelings don't count yeah. what he said well i just feel like i'm beaten up i just feel like i can never say anything right i feel like i can never lead in my home i feel like you know I, I ask my wife to do something innocent and she's she's just reviling me and I, and I don't understand why. What am I doing wrong? It's not that the man is necessarily doing anything wrong. Some, if he is, then we, we address that. We want biblical conviction and we call him to repent. But if it's not, we look at the wife and say, we have to hold you accountable. If we love you, we'll hold you accountable. Thank you for all of that. Um, because it's it's all it's all very real, and I think it, I think many men listening will relate to this. Uh, one of my friends is a man named Eric Carroll from Dad Talk Today, very popular, like two hundred thousand followers on Facebook, primarily serving divorced dads. And one of his um, one of his big themes that he talks about is dad deprivation, parental alienation, and and there's actually a phenomenon now where you know um, parents will get divorced the wife will get remarried to another man and tell this other man such horror stories about her ex that the man will then go murder the husband. And those are starting to happen where she just, people are losing lives over it. And there's a very, there's a very moving story about that. One, one thing I wanted to say is that nothing that happened to you in childhood legitimizes your mistreatment of another person Absolutely. ever. ever. True. It, it, it doesn't matter whether you were locked in a dungeon and mistreated man or woman. That does not give you the right to mistreat someone in your future who had nothing to do with it ever, ever. Absolutely. No, that's, I'm glad you clarified that because I probably did not, but that's, oh, it's, it's, it's implied, but yeah, absolutely true. And, um, you know, people that have been through these traumatic things, there's a real bitterness that's taken root in their hearts. Yeah. Hebrews 12 talks yeah. about a root of bitterness and it has to be pulled out. And the only thing that can pull it out is Jesus, the gospel. Yeah. The yeah. only thing that can pull that out and they have to embrace it and say, okay, I was wickedly sinned against. There's no, no question about that. It's black and white, you know, whether it's locked in a basement or raped or gang raped horrible thing god have mercy on on men that have done that to to young women especially um but that woman has got to walk in freedom she does not get an excuse for sin she does not get the freedom to say well i can treat men this way because of how wickedly i was treated no we don't retaliate we bless instead we instead of condemning we we bless you know you know we we not that I'm saying have contact with the the wicked man that did this, right. but the innocent man that you're married to now, he didn't do that. But you know, Will, they're blind to that. They don't, they don't see it. And it's the same thing that I see with pastors and counselors. They're, they're blind to these things. And there's two types of blindness, I think, at least two different types. The one kind of blindness is an innocent blindness. They don't know any better. They don't understand. They haven't been taught. They haven't been instructed. They haven't studied the scriptures enough. It's kind of an innocent blindness. Okay, okay, I just, I just don't get it. But the more frightening one is the prideful blind, blindness. Yeah. People have tried to help them. People have tried to tell them. People have given them biblical information. Again, whether this, this is the wife that's been through the trauma 
or whether it's the pastor or counselor who is trying to help family. There's a lot of pride in counselors and in pastors that keeps them from seeing this problem. Hmm. I've talked to them that they don't, they don't want to see it. They go, well, I'm going to have to admit that I'm wrong then. Oh, and, and, and it's like, you know, that that's what they're saying inside. They're not coming right out and say it. I don't want to examine all the evidence. And, um, you know, and the way it begins is if you separate the husband and wife in counseling, this is the most deadly part. I don't even remember if we talked about that. I know we've talked about it's a lot in the of book. It. It's in the book. Yeah. But, um, separating the husband and wife in the counseling, in other words, just counsel the wife alone and then just counsel the husband alone. Very deadly, very wrong, absolutely the wrong thing to do. And, um, Here's what the scripture says, Proverbs 18, 13. If one gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and shame. So don't give an answer until you hear the whole story, until you hear everything that's going on. If you think you can solve marital strife by just hearing one side, it's not going to go well. People are innocent until they're proven guilty, not guilty until they're proven innocent. You know, this this is America. I mean, we still mostly believe that you know we've seen Mm. some weaponizing of the justice system lately but uh, that's the way our country was founded and it's founded on biblical principles that you have to hear the whole story you have to give someone the opportunity to defend themselves um few verses later proverbs 18 17 the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him so you know, I, I can't tell you how many counseling situations, they sound so one-sided until the other spouse tells you the rest of the story. You know, like Paul Harvey used to say, here's the rest of the story. Hmm. You know, we got to hear the whole side of the story, not just hear one aspect of it and then make a conclusion based on that. We got to hear the whole story. So we need the husband and wife together when these um, situations come up. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 19, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a simple babbler or a gossip. When you counsel only one person at a time, you're encouraging gossip. You're encouraging them to gossip about the other person and they're going to, you know, they're going to make the other person look bad. This is why when I counsel people, I always request, I say, please, husband and wife, I want you both to come together so that I can get the whole picture. I don't want I don't want you to innocently gossip. I don't want you to wickedly gossip either. I don't want you to, you know, to say something with your spouse not there because it, it'll give you the wrong impression. Some people just innocently do that. Some people do it because they want to destroy the other person. But um this is this is what happens um when we counsel separately. And one more verse, Proverbs 26:20. For lack of wood the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. So if, if they're both together, one party cannot tell the secrets of the other person. The other person doesn't want them to hear. They, they, they can't do this. If they're both there together, you get the full picture. So, not, so in essence, you know, the wife says X, Y, Z, and the husband says, well, it's re- not really the whole story. Here's the other part of that. Oh, okay. That gives me, the counselor, the ability to discern what's going on. I say, okay, not that she's trying to throw him under the bus, but if I just listened to her, I would just assume he's this horrible, wicked man. This is what's happening. 
This is exactly what's happening at a lot of these counseling cases. I've got many of them. I could give stories. And these men have given me permission, permission to tell their stories. I won't give you their names, but telling their stories that um, pastors and counselors will talk to the wife and the wife will say something like, I don't feel safe, like we talked about before. And the counselor makes up his mind and says, boy, this, this is a terrible situation. This man is just, this, he's, he's a real problem. I've had cases where they never talk to the man. They don't even ask the man, will you talk to us? They just make the determination. They condemn him. They're judge, jury, and executioner, and it's over. It's done. Now, I will say that I, when I ask husbands and wives, please, let's both of you counsel together. Sometimes the wife won't. She says, no, I don't want to counsel with you. Oh, wow. And I go, okay, well, why not? Well, I'm not going to any man or any biblical counselor or anything like that. Yeah. So I go, okay, I'm not going to just leave the man hanging up. Now I'm going to help him. But I always ask, please, husband and wife, please both come. To, even, if, even if I'm hearing that it's a reviling wife, I still, I have to hear her voice and hear what she has to say. I can't just assume just because the man says she's reviling that she is. I have to hear them both. But if she won't even come for counseling, I mean, what other conclusion can I draw? So, right. so that's the sad part. And this is what's happening. This is, I was telling somebody the other day, it, it almost reminds me of the Salem witch trials in some ways, that the man is the scourge. He's the wicked one. He's condemned. He's the evil one. He's, he's the one, you know, we don't even have to get his testimony. And, um, that's just that's just wicked and evil and gossip type of count. It's slander as well, and it's tearing families apart, it's tearing children apart from their parents. And it's um, you know again we get back to this has got to be the enemy of our souls that's doing this, the accuser of the brethren that is that is behind these things. It's 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 not being done in a corner either. Will this is not well, these are just rare, very unusual circumstances. No, it's not at all. A lot of these men won't talk about it to anybody else because they get shut down or because they're so embarrassed. It's humiliating to tell somebody what happened with my wife. It's humiliating to, to say, this is what my wife is doing. And a lot of these men say, instead of my wife just reviling me nonstop, I, I wish she would just hit me. Mm. That's how bad it is. And then sadly, many of them do. I cover that in my book too, that uh, many, many of these women, they do resort to physical violence. And, um, oh, I had a, had a story I wanted to tell you about with that too. Um, yeah, please go ahead. I don't, I have it written down somewhere, but I'll just go by, go by memory. It was a, a case with a, a man with a reviling wife and she was mad at him about something. I don't remember what it was, but it was something insignificant, something very small. And so she just came unglued on him and started just flailing at him, physically hitting him, hitting him, hitting him over and over and over again. And, um, and he grabbed her wrists to keep her from hitting him. And she, she was still, she was kicking him. She was doing this, she was doing that. And, and, he, and he said, you crazy, 
And then he used a word that rhymes with which. <laughs> sure. I think it's in my book. And, um, and so the police were called and, you know, it became an ugly scene. And so then the husband and wife are describing the scene. So their pastor and their counselor. And uh, the pastor hears the story. And then he says, well, husband, why did you use that word with your <laughs> wife? You know, and the husband's like, really? That's what you're going to focus on? I mean, she was flailing at, she was flailing on him like a wicked demon. And, and all you have to say is, why did you use that, that bad word with your wife? And, you know, that's, that's what happens. It's like, okay, the guy is always guilty. And, and, you know, if if that's the case, it's like, well, the the man's never going to be not even neutral. He's never going to win, but he's never even going to be neutral. And as far as I know, they never held that wife accountable for what she did to her husband. And she was just disagreeing with him about something. It wasn't something harsh. Wasn't, he wasn't calling her to sin. He wasn't, you know, insisting that she do something, but, uh, um, she just didn't want to do it. And she was so full of fury that she was just flailing on him and he just held her wrists, you know, just, just right okay. here. Not self-defense, not, not choking her, not, you know, nothing like that, not hitting her, not slapping her, not kicking her. And yet the counselor said, what do you use that word for husband? Wow. That's what these men are up against. And, and again, these are good pastors. I mean, they're good counselors. They, they know the Lord, they know God's word and that they just push it aside. And in essence, they become bad counselors. And bad <laughs> right. counselors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know a lot of these guys. I mean, they're friends of mine. I mean, I know, I know these guys and I go, what, what's going on? No, no, no. You don't, you don't understand the whole story. So, well, I've talked to both parties. I mean, what, what are you missing here? Well, no, you're just, you're just seeing what you want to see. I go, no, I think it's the other way around. You're seeing what you want to see, brother. And, um, and there's where the pride comes in. I'm above reproach. I'm the pastor. I'm the counselor. I see everything perfectly. And you, you can't correct the pastor or the counselor then. So now, I mean, I've made plenty of blunders and mistakes as a pastor, as a counselor. You know, I, I don't claim to be, to have a corner on the market of truth. But if, if it's clear in the word of God that we should be counseling couples together, why aren't we doing that? We're setting the men up. I have exciting news for you. The recordings of the second edition of the digital conference series are now live. I wanted to take a moment out of this podcast to let you know specifically, because I think it underscores something very important. The Renaissance of Men is not about blaming. There is a difference between calling attention to a problem and accusing an entire group. Feminism accused men in the collective. The manosphere, in response, accuses women. Meanwhile, neither of them take accountability for anything. I intend for the Renaissance of Men to be a way out of that cycle, for men and women to repent to each other for their sins, individual and collective, and agree to let conflict go in order to move forward together with a reckoning of historical truth and union in Christ. Because nothing could be worth more than a renewed civilization and a renewed world beginning with the renewal of the family. Yes, it is an idealistic vision, but it becomes possible when you decide it does, when you yourself have had enough of wokeness, feminist theology, social conflict, and singleness. Now here's the thing. I think this is true for many men. 
but is it true for women? Are women really interested in moving forward together with men when the media, economy, government, and culture incentivizes them towards singleness? The second digital conference proved that the answer is yes. The day featured talks, discussions, and panels about the virtues of the Proverbs 31 woman who serves her household honorably with her full effort, contributing to shared godly prosperity for her family, which directly undercuts the feminist theology. Because men and women are hungry for a path forward, I believe the renaissance of men, the renaissance of women, and the great reconciliation are that path. Now you can watch recordings of that special day on Vimeo On Demand by going to renofmen.vhx.tv. The day features Annalise from Feminine Not Feminist, who gave a powerful talk about dignity. Dear Sister told her story, illustrating devotion. Bernadine Bluntly gave her moving tale of courage in overcoming family trauma. Soli Oli offered brilliant advice on how to cultivate a spirit of generosity in the home. Martine De Luna offered loving guidance in how wives and mothers can grow in patience. Issa Ryan shared her story of personal transformation as she developed diligence. And last but not least, Alison Armstrong and I hosted a discussion on her deep wisdom for how wives can inspire their husbands. Oh, and I gave a little talk demolishing Paris Paloma's hit single, Labor. Typical music industry stuff, Satanism, no big deal. Again, the purpose of this conference was to show the way forward for men and women towards the great reconciliation. It's real. And I hope you'll visit the site, watch the videos, and join us. Again, go to renofmen.vhx.tv now and stream more than seven hours of content and use the code RENOFMEN to take $5 off. Plus, while you're there, check out the men's event from March as well and stay tuned for the announcement for the third edition coming soon. And now, back to the show. Oh yeah, we're abandoning. Men are abandoned. They've been abandoned by their pastors. They've been abandoned by their society. They've been abandoned by their fathers. And when a woman decides that she's going to take a chunk out of a man with her words, with her shame, with her vitriol, in private and in public, it happens often too, there's no constraints on her at all. There's no one that can tell her anything. And meanwhile, TV, magazines, you know, the web is like, you know, you, you go girl, you're the strong independent hero. You don't need no man. And the movies reinforce all of this, all the heroes being shamed by the woman that shows up over and over and over again. And there's no, and, and I can understand being in the secular world where there's no constraint on that because they've thrown off God's law. But you would think that once you can come under the safe hierarchy of a church, that a pastor might be able to consult the whole word of God and identify a sin for what it is and hold the woman accountable. But when even the last line of defense won't do anything, won't speak up and say, that's wrong, that's sinful, we're holding you accountable in front of the church body. When a pastor won't do that, you're leaving men to fend for themselves. Yeah, and that's love, isn't it? Isn't that love to hold one another accountable? Absolutely it is. I mean, you know, if if you and I are, are friends and we love each other and we see sin in each other, I mean, you're going to gently approach, you would gently approach me or I would approach you and say, hey, brother, I don't think this is a good idea. You know, this seems like it's against God's word. What do you think? And you would hope that you would look at it and say, yeah, you're, you know, you're right. Or or that I would look at it and say, yeah, it's you know, what you say is is true. But this is this is what happens, what you know, the narrative of the reviling wife 
what does she want? Mm. You know, that's the question. What does she really want? What is, what is she doing? What's, what's yeah. this all about? Here's, here's what I hear. You tell you draw the conclusion. You tell me what summarizes all of these things. Um, I want my independence. <laughs> I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't need a man to make me happy. I want to live my own life. I don't like the traditional family. Being a mother is not a fulfilling role to me. What is that? It's feminism. This is feminism. Exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. And yet that's the narrative of the reviling wife. Those are the things she'll, you're, you're going to have listeners that are hearing this now and say, oh yeah, I know women like that. Or maybe a woman that will hear that and say, yeah, that, that is me. And, and here's my appeal to women that are listening right now. I don't hate you. I don't despise you. I, I want you to humble yourself under God's mighty hand and listen to the word of God and let it work in your soul and change you from being filled with yourself to being filled with the presence of God and say, it is a godly thing to submit to a man, even an imperfect man, which every man is, I me included. But this is, <laughs> that's all, all men in this club, oh, raise your hand. That's yes, all. We're all raising our hands. Yeah. You know? So um, this is how you obey and honor God. This is how you follow Jesus Christ. So don't look at this and say, I, I've got to have my independence. I, I don't need a man to be happy. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not saying you have to be married to be happy. But if you are married, and you're miserable in your marriage, get help. Get nuthetic help and meet with the counselor with your spouse so that he can help you both and hold you both accountable. When I count, Even when I counsel men with reviling wives, I still hold the man accountable because of his reaction to what she's doing to him. Mm-hmm. So in other words, her reviling of him does not give him the freedom to revile her back. I mean, we saw that in Jesus, right? First Peter 2, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. So it's like, husband, you can't revile her in return. Yeah, but she's, she's doing this. No, you don't get a pass on this either. You have to be a godly man before her, even in the midst of your trial, even in the midst of your suffering that you're going through. I know this is hard. I know this is painful. I know it feels hopeless, but it's not. It's not hopeless. So, so this is one of the things that I urge upon men with um, understanding what's going on, what's God doing, what does he expect from me? And I tell men this, and they usually don't get it at first, but eventually they go, I see what you mean now. This is going to be the most sanctifying time in that man's life what he's going through with a reviling wife. He's going to grow more through the trials he's enduring than through all of the peaceful, wonderful, happy, easy things in his life. I think we find that in our lives, that the deeper and the darker the affliction, the more readily God can work and change us. And that's what happens with these men that really pursue the Lord with all their heart. They don't just play church. They're not just religious. They're not just going through the motions. 
I say, all right, Lord, work in me. There's things about me. Why is this hurting me so badly? Well, first of all, 1 Peter 1.6 says that some of our trials are necessary. You know, these are necessary. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So first of all, we look at that and say, okay, this is, this is needful. I may not want it, but it's part of God's plan for me. And it's not that the man is a bad man. It's not that he's a man full of sin, but he needs these trials to be the school in which God teaches him. So what are some of the things that God teaches him? Well, one of the things he teaches is compassion, patience. The King James translates the word patience as long-suffering. It makes it a very vivid picture, doesn't it? Long, you have to be willing to suffer a long time. That's what a patient man looks like. And Colossians 3.12 says to put this on. Put on patience. Put on compassion. Put on meekness. Put on these things. You have to desire to become that kind of man through what you are enduring. It'll make you a better man. The suffering is hard and painful, and, and it is very, very much debilitating at times, but it will refine you. It will sanctify you. It will change you. This is what God is doing in that. Um, a man will lo- learn a lot about forgiveness. Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15 says, For if you forgive the sins of others, then you'll be forgiven. But if you don't forgive, then you're not forgiven. So forgiveness is not a peripheral idea in Scripture. It is central. And the only part in the Lord's Prayer, which is Matthew 6, 9 through um, 13, the only part of that prayer that is repeated is in verses 14 and 15. The two verses right after it are about forgiving. Forgiving one another. This is what's the hardest part for us to do is to forgive but it's also the most freeing and the beautiful and the proof of the work of God in your heart. You are forgiving man. That, that's evidence that you are born again. You're not forgiving. It's evidence you're not born again. You say, I can't forgive. I can never let that go. That's giving the impression that, well, there's no hope for me. I can't, uh, you know, I, I, there's, there's no way that I could ever forgive my wife for what she did. The same thing works for the wife towards the husband, too. Whatever she's holding against him, she has to forgive him. But again, this is a sanctifying thing. This is what God is doing. This is what God is sowing in the man's heart through all of his afflictions and trials. The man's going to learn about anger and bitterness and repentance from that. Um, Ephesians 4.31 talks about that. Hebrews 12.15, we alluded to that before about put it all away. Anger, wrath, slander, bitterness. Let put it all away from you. We've got to get, get that out of our lives because it's not going to be constructive. There is a place for righteous anger, but often I think what we do is we we justify our anger by saying, well, it's righteous, so therefore it's okay. It's like be very, very careful with that. The word of God calls us to repent from anger. It's very destructive. It can really harm. It can do some good with men that say, I care about justice. I care about righteousness. Okay, good. But be careful. Don't stay in that anger very long because it will destroy you. It'll destroy your witness, your testimony, and everything else. But um, a man's going to learn, boy, why did I get so angry at what she said to me, what she did to me? 
this is another another sanctifying time for that man. Um, learning how to lament. We don't talk very much about that either. Sorrows, lamentation. We've got a whole book in the Bible called the Lamentations, right? Jeremiah wrote it. And you see, you know, Jeremiah just as hard as ripped. I mean, he's called the weeping prophet. Well, why? He's lamenting over the sins of his people and over the consequences of those sins upon an entire nation. And if you look at Lamentations chapter three, it's really interesting because he says, you did this, God, you did this, you did this, you did, you know, God did these things. It's like, okay, what does he mean by that? And at the end of Lamentations three, he's He's talking about learning to wait on God. So it's designed to draw the man to the Lord, lamenting towards God, not lamenting in self-pity, not lamenting in, in feeling sorry for yourself, woe is me, but lamenting in a sense of the loss that I have and I'm waiting on God to restore and to bless and to change me and to soften my heart. Sometimes that takes a long time, but that's what's going on. Well, I want to I want to jump in here and I say, what about her? So I understand that we're being that a man can be put through this trial, and let's say she's doing everything short of physical violence. She's not standing over the bed with a knife, right? But the the and and let's say that it's a, the couple doesn't have kids. That's a because that's a whole other complex. But she's verbally abusive, rebellious actively on a daily basis, shaming in public and in private, gossiping about her husband, even ruining his professional opportunities with her loose mouth. Like she's doing everything she can to persecute her husband. There's part of me that says, yes, absolutely to everything that you're saying, sanctification for real. But there's another part of me that's like, we can't just leave this man to die in this dungeon for a woman who has no intention to ever repent and who actually just sheerly wants to punish him out of the pure, wicked bitterness of her heart. Is there no, no, is there no hope for this man? Do we just, I mean, I, obviously the Lord is with him, and, and yes, and, but there is a component of like, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Can he leave? Can he just say, you know what? I've had it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move out. We made a marriage covenant. I get that. Not going to get a divorce, right? But I'm gone. Like you don't get to pretend that you're in a relationship anymore. I'm not going to allow myself to be subject to this anymore. At, at what point? At what point can a man simply say that? You know, I've had enough. Die alone. <laughs> Pardon my language, but I, I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. No. It's <clears throat> it's it's a it's a great question. It's a great point, and it shows the compassion for the man yeah. to even ask that question. Because I know you're not asking it in the sense of saying. I want this man to have an easy way out. No. <laughs> you know, because that's not what we want. And sometimes the, um, the trials, the afflictions, that's God's goal with the man so that he learns and grows and changes. It's not, not about the marriage. It's about him. Mm-hmm. Think of the book of Job, for instance. Here we have Job that he loses his children. He loses his health. He loses the love of his wife. And then even his friends turn against him. Yeah, loses his kids. Yeah. 
So he's he's got everything, and he's lost his business too, because all of his livestock's gone. I mean, he's he's lost everything, literally. And then not only does he lose his friends, but he calls them worthless physicians, miserable comforters. And you go through the whole book of Job, and you're just waiting. You're waiting for the answer. Okay, God, why? 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 And you never get the answer, do you? <laughs> because if you get the answer and say, well, this is why God did it, then you would say, well, that was, that was the reason. That's the purpose of all of this. But I think because it's left unexplained, it's left unsaid why God did this, it's telling us what the answer is. It's telling us that this is for the man to draw near to the Lord and find at peace in his soul that only God can bring because nothing in the world is going to bring it. Not his wife, not his children that he's lost, not his three friends who are sadly, um, you know, erstwhile friends, you know, they're former friends, really. They really are not acting like friends at all. He's, um, he's lost everything except for one thing. He's, he's not lost his relationship with God. And he is changed and grown and sanctified through that. And so by the end of the book, chapter 42, you see God rebuking the men and saying, Job's going to pray for you. Because Job has done what is right. And so you see that, you know, the men that I've talked to, I urge them, read the book of Job again with new eyes, with fresh eyes, and see, see what God is doing. Um, He's trying to refine you. He's trying to change you. And not that you're a bad man, not that you're an evil man, but he wants you to be a better man. He wants you to be a better father, a better husband, a better leader. Now, I know I haven't totally answered your question. It's like, David, you're still avoiding my question. It's like, well, <laughs> not really. <laughs> I know, I understand. I'm not really avoiding it. I, I, I don't want any men out there to look at this and say, well, I've got justification to leave my marriage because of what David and Will talked about on the podcast. I don't want men to have that, right. that kind of a thought in their mind. Because I think every case has to be looked at individually and examined. And these men need help. They need somebody to come alongside of them, not to condemn them, but to talk with them and say, okay, let's Let's address this. Let's address that. Let's address your sin, husband. Let's address the things that, that you are doing wrong. Not things that are causing your wife to be this way, but let's, right. let's address those things. Let's not just run away and get out of this marriage. But you know, it's easy for you and me to say that. It's like, I'm not in that marriage, so let's, let's just hold on. You know, it's, it's easy for us to say that. But I don't want to make it easy for the man to say, I've got full justification to get out of this marriage too. Cause right. that's too that's much. What, that's what a lot of men will do that are, that are listening to this. And I don't, I don't want that. I mean, I hold, I hold marriage in very, very high regard. And yet Damn. I do know, I do know that many of these men that I've counseled, they lost their marriages. And yet very few of the men filed for divorce. There's a few of them, but very few of them did. It's usually the wife that does. Mm -hmm. Even though she's the guilty one, even though she's the one doing the reviling and the bitter, controlling, angry, wicked one, 
What I do instead, Will, is I encourage the men to lovingly and kindly fear God rather than they fear their wives. Stand and lead. Don't back down. Don't be mean about it. Don't be cruel. Don't be just yelling at your wife and saying, you've got to submit to me, woman. You know, not any of that kind of nonsense. But just lead. Be the man that God calls you to be. And now if the wife leaves, you go, well, I've done what God wants me to do. I'm not leading in a way that's oppressive. I'm not ruling over my wife in a harsh way. But I'm kind of, I'm, I'm putting everything forward so that, okay, wife, I, I have led you in the wrong way. I've been too passive. I have equivocated. I have abdicated. I have been complicit in things and I've compromised. I, I can't do that anymore because I have to fear God more than I fear you. So I'm going to start making some changes and some things that are going to be different now. I want you to join me in let's glorify and honor God together. Have a conversation, something like that, with your reviling wife. Now, she may just blow up and say, you know, you're just a toxic man and, you know, all that stuff. Or maybe, maybe she'll hear it and listen and say, okay, okay, I'll follow you. Yes, rare, rare. But I have seen it. I have seen Mm -hmm. it happen. But if she leaves now, then the man can say, look, I've done everything I can. I have been the man that God calls me to be. And if she leaves, so be it. Mm -hmm. Most of these men, even after their wives divorce them and leave them, they still love their wives. They still, oh, I wish she would reconcile. I wish she would come back. I wish, you know. And sadly, eventually there has to come a point where the man has to say, I just have to let her go. Not out of hatred, not out of abandonment, but she doesn't want to be under my authority and under my protection, she's made that clear. She's on her own now. Yeah. So I haven't directly answered your question, but no, I you think did. that's what I'm, that's the way I, I, I try to help men because I, I don't want this to be a get out of jail free card. Same. And, and yet I just grieve for what these men are going through. I just go, oh, this is so, so painful, so lonely so hard and very few people understand what they're enduring very very few you know i've had contact from maybe two or three pastors and counselors around the nation that have contacted me and said wow i like what you've said on your podcast hopefully there'll be more Hmm. with the podcast yeah but you know two or three out of the thousands that have heard this, and I go, what's wrong with this picture? Am I a bad guy? Are you a bad guy? I mean, are we just scratching where nobody's itching? It's like, oh no, we're, we're scratching right where men are itching. And they're like, man, I need help here. Please, please help me. I got a call this morning from a guy in Canada, from British Columbia, Canada, that heard one of the podcasts. And I go, okay, what's, what's going on with, with you? Same story, same exact thing. It's, it's almost like it's a textbook case. The men that read my book, that hear one of these podcasts I've done, they tell me the same thing. They say, it's like you had a, um, a recorder 
and you were taping what's going on in my house, the conversation, the way things play out, what I say, what my wife says. How do you know this so well? And I go, I I think I'm just faithful to God's word. I'm just trusting what God says. I'm nothing special. I'm nothing, I'm not brave or courageous. I'm just saying, I have to stand where God's word stands. And, um, And I've seen this so many times now that it's almost predictable. So um, I'll make that available to people as well. It's kind of a dangerous thing to do this, but any man or woman that's listening to this podcast with you, you're free to contact me. Compassionate Counselors is the ministry. CompassionateCounselors.com is our website. Um, my email address is counsel the word at pm.me, so pm as in protonmail.me. And uh, I'll even give you my phone number, 602-384-4417. I might might edit out the phone number just in case. (laughs) That's up to you. I'll let you you decide on that. But um, I just want to help. I just want to help these families and I want to help these men because they need, they, they need this help. It's not, it's not going away. It's getting worse. Yes. Uh, and uh, we need pastors to be leading the way in this. We need nuthetic biblical counselors leading on this, not figuring it out 10 years later, but leading the way on this because we're hurting people or we're, we're not only allowing people to get hurt, but we are hurting them as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we can't uh, we can't just ignore that. We can't just put that aside. So. Men especially are being hurt. Absolutely. Right? Men, Absolutely. women yeah. are women have free reign and license to harm men. When 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 a man comes to me and says he's looking for a church, by the way, there's like a thousand different tangents that that we could that we could go on. You know, I always tell him when you go and meet with the pastor, if you're considering joining a church you have to ask the pastor three questions and that will tell you where the church is really at. Question number one, do women sin? Question number two, do women sin against men? Question number three, are you capable of holding women accountable for sin? Mm. Mm -hmm. If he hesitates on even one of those questions, leave, leave, because you will be, you will be abandoned. Now, like, you can get a sense of, you can like, he may hesitate or answer, like he answer co- correctly. Like you'll feel it out in the moment. Like it's like, no, you, you know, you, you, you took a breath and, and I'm out, you know? So obviously, you know, use discernment with it, but there are far too many pastors that will, that will answer no to one of those questions. Yes. Women sin. Yes. Women sin against men. No, I'm not capable of holding women accountable for sin. Leave. Or willing to. Or willing to. Yeah. W- yeah. Able and willing. Yeah. Because, I mean, in, because otherwise, you have men that, again, will feel like they've been abandoned, that they'll be held accountable for things that are not their fault, that their wives will have um, weapons free against their husbands and especially their children. And this is something that I tend, that I talk a lot about on Instagram with some female content creators, you know, who are talking about motherhood, like this this reviling of, of their husbands, it also goes down to their sons in many cases as well. Um, yes. and, and daughters in a different way. But I mean, maybe you can talk a little bit about the impact 
of the reviling li- of the re- reviling wife on her sons. Yeah, it, it's on sons and on daughters. Yeah, that the reviling wife has daughters that are, if not intentionally and deliberately trained in being reviling, they're by by example they're being trained how to be a reviling wife when they grow up and when they marry a man. So it's deadly from that perspective because they have a, an in, inbred contempt for men because yeah. their mother does. And it's like, I'm not going to trust any man. I'm not going to entrust myself to any man. I'm not going to follow any man. I am woman. Hear me roar. You know, I, I'm strong and I can do whatever I want. And, and so it's deadly for young girls that are growing up in that home. But you mentioned for boys too. Same thing with boys that they see their father just whipped verbally and, and, and demoralized and emasculated. And if the man does not stand up and say, you know, this is not going to keep going on. We can't keep having this. If he just abdicates again, that young boy is going to be that same kind of a young man. And now we've got the problem just going down, spiraling generation after generation after generation. And eventually someone has to stand and say, look, what do the scriptures say? What does the word of God teach? That's the kind of man I have to be. But it is very hard. You know, it's hard to be a leader when you don't have anyone that wants to follow you, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm the leader of our home. I'm the head of our home. But the wife says, I'm not following you. And the wife says, kid, don't follow him because he's a bad man. It's very hard for that man to lead in his home. But lead, he must. He must still stand and say, with gentleness, with kindness, with compassion, but still be firm in his faith and say, I'm I'm not going to give in on this. I'm not going to abdicate my role. So you're absolutely right. It's it's like the curse that goes on generation to generation of those that hate God. And I'll say that as well, that I probably implied it earlier, but these reviling wives are more than likely not born again. I was going to ask, yeah, I feel the same. Because there's no repentance, there's no sorrow, there's no ownership of their sin I talked to a man yesterday that his wife had just filed for divorce and she was a reviling wife. I had met with the two of them, so I knew the situation. And the man asked her, what part did you play in this? The destruction of our marriage, what part did you play in this wife? And she said it was 100% his fault. 100%. And not only is that wrong, it's the opposite of reality. It's yeah. almost 100% his fault, her fault. You know, the man had some culpability in it, but, but nothing that would have ended the marriage, nothing at all. And so there is, then we get back to that blindness again. And again, it's a prideful blindness. It's not an innocent blindness that I just don't know any better. It's a, I'm digging my heels in. And I'm blind to the truth. I'm blind to the reality that I sin just like anybody else does. I don't see how that person could be born again. I really, yeah. I really don't. Yeah. I've so. struggled with, I've struggled with that as well, you know, because this is something that I, that I mentor and counsel men through that I see very often as, um, 
you know, maybe they're they're the sons of reviling mothers. Their mothers taught them what to expect from women. They get into relationships with women who mirror that relationship with their mother. It's a common human thing that we do. And then at some point, the men wake up because they read a book or they encounter content and and we start talking and start taking the pieces apart. And it's like, yeah, okay, I, I see that you're in a relationship with, you have a, a reviling wife to varying degrees. And um, and then they'll say, but, you know, we're in a Christian marriage. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> or like, you know, my wife led me to Christ, you know, it's like, and, and it's a very, it can be very difficult to work through that. I've been married oh. for 20 years. I became Christian because of her. We had Christian vows. And now exactly. 20 years on, she's fully in rebellion, like hates God hates the Bible, hates everything. And it's like, yeah. I don't know, I mean, was, she, was she ever a Christian to begin with? These are, yeah, you exactly. Know? Yeah, no, I've had the same thing. I've had men that say, you know, my wife helped me. She, she, she got books by John MacArthur and John Piper and wow. R.C. Sproul and this and that. And, and you know, it really helped me as a, as a husband and a man. And now she doesn't believe any of that stuff. She just throws it all away and I go, wow. really? really? You know, good you know, good, solid. I mean, all those guys are good, solid guys. I mean, we don't yeah. agree with anything they say, but I go, yeah, I'd love to have <laughs> a friendship with any of those guys. And yet it's like, no. So, but we, we know that knowledge puffs up. Knowledge is not enough. It has to be working in the heart, doesn't it? It has to be changing mm. the heart. That's what the gospel does. It changes and transforms the heart where there's character that's developed and it's only developed by the Spirit of God. I mean, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, gentleness, faithful, self-control. You know, that, that's what we look for. And when we see that, we go, that's the Spirit of God working. But then you look at the works of the flesh. We're, we're in Galatians 5. Um, you look at the works of the flesh. What are they? There's, there's, there's anger. There's, there's, there's all these forms. It's like eight forms of anger that are mentioned there as works of the flesh. And it's like, that's what I see in my wife. I see a lot of different forms of anger, but I don't see love, joy, peace, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I don't see that. What's, what's missing? Well, don't become the judge of your wife, but evaluate and say, boy, I want to make sure those things are being built in my heart. That's the fruit. That's the work of the Spirit of God in my heart. So. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to mention too, that um, um, when men go through this and they don't, they don't get any help from their church, now it goes into the secular courts. And now you got to play by the world's rules. And the men lose. Yeah. You play by the secular court rules that the man, the man loses. You know, years and years of child support or what's called a divorce tax where, you know, he has yeah. to pay spousal support to his wife. And, and um, uh, the church should be stepping in and saying, we don't want you to go to the courts. We want to help you as the local church. We want to shepherd and pastor you, your family, and help you. We're not the pastor of your family. The husband is the head in his home, not the pastor of the family. Um, but we should be coming alongside and helping you, not making it so that you have to go to the secular authorities to get get resolution on this, because you're not going to get resolution. You go to the secular courts, it's going to be a train wreck and a disaster, and it's going to be 
crazy expensive and it's going to destroy your family even more. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that are going to happen here. So I, I, I wish churches would take this more to heart and say, we have to help these men. And if, if there's a pastor or a counselor listening to this podcast and a man comes to you, pastor or counselor, and he says some of these things about a reviling wife, please don't dismiss him. Please don't just say, well, he's obviously just a, a, a toxic man. He's obviously just a bad man. You know, please listen to him and investigate it. Check it out. He could be deceiving you, but he's probably not. Check it out. Investigate it. I wanted to talk quickly, if we can, about some of the larger societal issues that this ties to. So obviously the family court system being completely captured and twisted and being very anti-husband, anti-father by default. It's like, well, we just default assume that the man is in the wrong and we're going to take the kids from him and half of his income and we're not even going to investigate it. That's just the presumption, yeah. right? But there's this is showing up. You know, this general abdication to hold women accountable seems to be showing up society-wide. And as we were talking before we started recording, it's, it's widespread and these are not coincidences that all these things are happening. Like there's something, there's something larger going on and it's not just about the political movement of feminism. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, you know, politics is not the problem. Politics is just, you know, kicking the can down the road. Um, the, the, the problem is that we don't, we don't have a biblical view of anthropology. We don't have a biblical view of progressive sanctification. We don't have a biblical view of Christology, of hamartiology, of all of these things, you know, the study of study of man, the study of sin, the study of sanctification, you know. We miss all of those things in the church and it and it goes out into the society. And even more to the point, what the society says gets into the church and it corrupts the church, and then it goes back out into the society again and it makes things worse. So, you know, like we talked about a little bit in the beginning was the the whole um, woke ideology is is a massive, massive problem in the church, and I've had I've had pastors that I've talked to about that, and they say, "Oh, I don't believe in that stuff." And I say, "Brother, you do. You, you really do. You don't. You don't see it." Well, I don't embrace you know communism and Marxism and all that stuff. Well, maybe, maybe not to that degree, but you're buying into it right here because you're automatically just kind of assuming that you get the whole picture and, and you don't. So brother, please, please listen, please hear, please hear what God has to say. And um, so it's that, it's that tension between gentle and compassionate and being bold and for, forthright. Say, you know, we have to be bold about this. We have to, we have to be courageous and say, we, we have to say what is true and right, even if our culture opposes it because now we get back to fearing god rather than fearing man rather than fearing the state rather than fearing what um um, a reviling wife might say or a church might assume about you because you're just defending yourself another thing um don't agree with a lie so in other words if a man says well my wife is accusing me of this and if I don't go along with her, she's going to get really mad at me. 
Don't just go along with her to keep peace. Because all it is is a ceasefire. It's not peace. (laughs) You know, we have a ceasefire with China right now, don't we? But we don't have peace with China. Mm -hmm. Okay, nobody's killing each other, at least overtly. But would anybody say, well, we have peace with China? Like, well, no, we're just waiting for the next thing to come. Same thing in the reviling wife in the marriage. You can't just make peace your ultimate goal. You have to glorify God in your marriage. You have to lead in your family. You have to honor the Lord Jesus Christ in what you do. That's what you're called to. You know, we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. That's the greatest commandment. And if we don't love truth enough to stand on the truth, then we really don't love God with all our heart, do we? Or or with all our mind. So, you know, the church should be leading the culture on this. And yet, as we've seen for decades now, the church follows the culture on this. And then we see these political things going on. We're like, why is that happening? Well, our churches are not honoring. Our churches are not faithful to God's word. And, um, and yet I know many great pastors, good brothers. I've been here in the Valley for 30 years, and I've got a lot of good friends that, that love the Lord and love his word. But I've also seen a number of them lately in the past four or five years. They've just abdicated yeah. and just kind of gone along with the culture in the world. And I go, don't you understand that the world The biblical term world means a society in rebellion against God. Why would you follow that? Is that what that is? That an actual that's an actual biblical term? Yeah, the term world. You look at it in First John and the Gospel of John. You know, don't love the world or the things of the world. What's he talking about? He's not talking about the planet. He's not just talking about the people. He's talking about the whole society that's in rebellion against God that doesn't want to follow God. Mm -hmm. This is why we see all the. Uh, the uh, gender confusion things. Yep. I was going to use the word transgender, but it's not a real legitimate word. It's not a, it's a make-believe word. It's a good point. So, <laughs> it's a good point. You know, or like gay marriage, that's not a it's not a real thing either. Not a thing. That's a make-believe world uh, word. But um, you know, we have to stand on truth, and we can stand on that with love. We don't have to mock people. We don't have to ridicule people. We say, no, this is what God says. Well, who are you to say what God says? He wrote a book. You know, I got a, I got a book with 66 books in it that tells me what God says, you know? Yeah. And the author of that book says, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. I didn't make that up. He said it, not me. So that's the way of peace, freedom, joy, all the things that people want, all the things that people are craving and desire. It comes through the good news. It comes through the gospel. It comes through God working in the hearts of man and forgiving sin and becoming their Lord. He's their king. And he will, he will take care of everything in their life. So um, I, I, I think we have to, we have, to have that, that boldness and that courage, Will. I mean, I think that's what's really necessary. But we have to have the word of God as the authority. The scriptures have to be the authority. Um, you know, Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen. All Scripture is breathed out by God 
It's all, all of it's breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training and righteousness that the man of God may be uh, complete and equipped for every good work. Do we believe that? Do we really believe that? It's breathed out by God. And here's what it does. It does all of these things. We can't just add psychology to that or psychotherapy and say, well, we're going to come out with something better. It's like, no, you're going to dilute what the word of God says. You're going to, you're going to compromise on what the word of God says. So we stand boldly with that, like Martin Luther, here I stand. I could do no other. God help me. That, that's where we have to be. I think a lot of men need, first need to hear that message. And, but I think ultimately at the bottom of it, many, many Christian men uh, would rather listen to the word of woman rather than the word of the Lord. They're not, they're simply not strong enough constitutionally at the moment with spine and heart to really stand on the word of the Lord and say, no, this is, this is how it is. Yeah. This is how it is. And Isn't that interesting? They, Proverbs 31.3, do not give your strength to women. Yeah. It doesn't say to a woman. It says, don't give your strength to women. You know, we're, we're letting women lead and they should not be leading. And we're afraid, we're afraid, afraid to take the leadership reins from them. Mm-hmm. We're afraid to even say that, to breathe that to them. Like, you're not supposed to be leading. I got a book that says it right here. Ah, you know, because they can't stand up yeah. to them. Yeah. Don't, we can't fear. We can't, uh, we can't back down. We lovingly lead, we graciously lead, we, we say, no, this is what God says, this is what we have to do. Now, a, uh, a woman with a good heart is going to say, boy, great, I'm protected. Yes. Say, That's what I want. I want a man like that. But if a woman is listening to that and she hears, this man is harsh, he's wicked, he's cruel, he's domineering he's oppressing you know you're not hearing it you're not hearing it right because there are there's good men like that out there i could introduce you to dozens of them <laughs> i know a lot of these guys you know and i'm sure you're one of them will from mm-hmm. what i know of you it's like yep I, I know plenty of men like that and um uh but women think they're going to be happy by ruling and they're not they're going to find that it's it's going to destroy them can destroy society as well. Absolutely. We see yep. it around us. Destroy them, destroy families, destroy churches, destroy society. It's, it is destructive. Sadly, it's destructive. Do you have time for one or two more questions? I know we're, we're, we're deep into it at the moment. Yeah, a couple more. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. So uh, there was something that you brought up a while back that is so important to the book, and, and I want people to understand it because it's such a powerful phrase. I wonder if you can unpack your feelings are not sovereign because we live in an age that worships feelings and certainly, yeah. and certainly women are in many ways led by their feeling and their intuition, which is one of the reasons why we love them. But there can also be a point at which the feeling is the one that takes control. Exactly. So you, you did a great job with that in the book. So I wonder if you could talk about that idea. Yeah. The feelings are sovereign idea is that, um, a woman feels something, and therefore, in her mind, it's absolutely true. 
And, and, you know, and I mean, on the surface, you look at that, you say, well, that's kind of silly. Nobody does that, do they? And I go, oh yeah, they do. Yeah. I've seen women that, that say that, uh, well, you, you have, um, uh, you have this idea that you are supposed to lead me. And I feel like that is oppressive. I feel like that is harsh. I feel like this is um, not giving me freedom. And the man will say, well, I'm really not trying to do that. Um, as I'm just remembering an example from counseling from years ago where I literally had the husband and wife in my office. Good, And they're good friends today. This is an example of a wife that's repentant about hmm. reviling. So it's a good story. Um, but at the, at the time, I'm like, this is just crazy. What's going on? So the husband and wife are talking, and the husband is describing something. He's describing a situation. He's very calm. He's very gentle. He's not harsh or anything. And the wife turns to him, and she says, you're, you're just a phony. You're a fake. You're a fraud. I feel like you are just, you're just making this stuff up and you're not really like that. And, and, and you know, she's just accusing of all of these things because she felt that he was being fake. And the husband turns to her and says, what, what are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean? And, and she says, no, you're really angry right now. You're saying things in a soft and gentle way, but you're really angry right now. He's like, no, I'm, just saying things very gently and you know and i and i know it's comical now you listen to it yeah. now but i'm just watching this unfold in my office and i'm like what what is going on here every man's been through this <laughs> so i stopped the conversation i said okay wife um he's gentle right yeah he's gentle he's very soft-spoken yep he is and you know i just run through what i was seeing with the man and i said but you see him as being angry when he's doing that yeah, absolutely. I know he's, I know him so well. I know his heart. I said, Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. You're assuming something about him. That's absolutely the opposite of that. If he was harsh and banging his hand on the table and jabbing his finger in your face and do then I'd say, okay, he, he probably is harsh and angry and mean right now, but that's not the case. He's the opposite of that. Why would you judge his heart so harshly? Well, it's because that's what I feel. I feel that way. So she didn't say the words, but my feelings are sovereign. And, and so in, in this case, I just took a lot of time with her and kind of walked her through that. And she, she eventually saw that she was being quite foolish and judgmental. She repented and changed. But uh, that's an example. You know, my feelings are all that matters. And the husband is, is quiet. And he's soft. And he's gentle. Well, you're prideful. Well, you're being angry right now. You're you're really angry, even though you're using gentle words. Like, what? Why? What do you What do you mean by that? Well, I feel that's what you're doing. I go. You can't just operate by feelings because feelings are deceptive. And feelings. I, I mean, some of this comes from the enemy. That you know. Okay, attack your husband now. Go after him because he's being a, a phony and a fraud. And, and um. You know, you, you, you can't just make that kind of a judgment. It's, it's irrational. It's illogical. It's, it's cruel. It's vindictive. So your feelings are not sovereign. Your feelings don't determine truth. I mean, truth is, 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 is what's a fact. So, so that's an example of that where often wives, they're very 
feelings driven often they feel things and therefore they assume it to be true and um you know just have to gently be urged let's step back a second let's kind of think this through let's let god's word renew and change our minds here because i don't think you're seeing this right so that's an example mm-hmm. of the feelings are sovereign i know i go into a lot more depth in my book on that but um I would encourage your readers to get a copy of my book. I don't get a lot of royalties out of this, so it's not like I'm making a bunch of money off of this, but yeah, it'll, yeah. Help. it'll help men and women in, in a variety of ways to um, really see what's going on. Yeah, to make, to make feelings your, your highest authority when feelings are, are subject to facts and also to the word of God. That's the, exactly. sovereign, that's the sovereign authority in the room right now. Authority, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that the last thing I wanted to ask is, what has it been like for you in the eight years since you wrote the book? Because, I mean, it was a, it's a big deal to step out on these topics today. And you were out front on them eight years ago. And as you've written the book, you've watched the societal condition get worse around these very issues. And meanwhile, again, like a voice crying out in the wilderness, you've been talking about this on, on the front lines in a way I haven't found anyone else really talking about. So what's it been like for you to get to this point and what's happening for you now? Well, it's, it's been a very slow thing, really, that um, I've had men over the years, over the eight years since the book, that have contacted me and they, they always find me and they say, okay, we want to talk with you. But until about a few months ago, it's really been kind of quiet. Not really a lot of attention, not really a lot of... Um, uh, people that are interested to talk about it until the last few months. And now it's like, wow, it's just off the charts. It's a whole, it's a whole nother ministry that's developing now because of this. And I've got, I've got a group of men that were, we're strategizing and praying, God, what, what can we do? What, what do we do? Because there's a lot of men out there that, that need this help and they're coming out of the woodwork. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, literally, I'm sure after this podcast, I'm going to get flooded with more emails and phone calls too. I hope so. <laughs> and, you know, and part of me goes, oh no, but, <laughs> but also part of me goes, good. You know, what I say to the men that join our online group, I said, I'm sorry that you're here, but we're glad to help you. That's kind of been our motto. I'm really sorry that you're here because I know what you're going through, but I'm glad we can help you. And um, we haven't gotten too much opposition yet. Mm-hmm. I know it's coming. I know it will come eventually, and probably because nobody knows who I am, you know, but I keep doing podcasts, people are going to know who I am, and it's like, okay, now I am going to get, you know, attacks and things like that. But again, ultimately, we go, we have to honor God. We have to say, Lord, what do you want to do? How can we be a part of advancing your kingdom? Not my kingdom, but yours. Um, I'm not getting rich off of this. I'm not getting financial um blessings off of this it's it's simply to say let's be faithful to the word of god and um that's all that i want i just want the church to be honoring and glorifying the lord and helping these suffering men so um so it's been good it's it's been good to see so many men getting getting help but i need help with this too, Will. I can't do it myself. 
And yeah. that's why, that's why I, I'm glad to have these men that I've been working with. Some of these men, I've been working with them for several years, and they're really growing and changing in wonderful ways. Some of the men are new on this journey. It's like, man, they're right in the middle of it right now. Some of the men that we've, that you and I know, and um, every man's in a different, different situation, different place. These are young men. They're men in their twenties and thirties. These are older men, men in their sixties and seventies. It, it's not any one segment of society. Some of these are um, very wealthy men. Some of these are men that can barely pay their bills. It's, yeah. it's not that there, there's nothing that's common in this except that they're the gentle kind compassionate sweet men not not wimpy men but men that are um they're willing to go along mm-hmm. they're, they're not men that are insisting on their way but eventually with the reviling wife you know it becomes why do you keep dictating to me wife why do you think that that's your role to just insist on things being your way? So we get right back to Genesis 3.16 again. Her desire is contrary to the husband. So, yeah. God's curses are legit. They are. They are, yeah. brother. Well, thank you so much. Thank, thank you so you, much. Brother. This has been a wonderful conversation. And I, I sincerely hope and pray that this blesses many men and women listening and that they pick up your book i'll link it in in the show notes and and uh be talking about it as well in the introduction you've already so graciously provided your email address and phone number and, and website i don't know if there's other places you want to send men if you have a youtube channel or social media or, or anything like that or, or how people can donate to support your ministry how would you how would you like people to be able to to support you and, and help you today yeah you know i'm I, i'm not really into social media very much at all yeah. But, um, you know, which is probably a good thing in some ways. But, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but if, if people wish to donate to the ministry, you can go to our website, compassionatecounselors.com, and you can donate right there. And that would be, that would be very kind. People would, would do that just so we can continue doing the work that we're doing. And, and like I said, we're going to need more help. And we are in the process of developing a whole another ministry that uh, is connected to compassionate counselors. You know, we don't even have a name for it yet, but it's something like the Re- Reviling Wives Ministry to, to help these men. So, uh, so thank you. Thank you for having me on, Will. It's been great to get to know you. And you're a fellow Phoenician and, and a, a lover of God and lover of men. And, and thank you. Thank you for the good work that you're doing. Thank you, David. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.